So check that out. If you need to, grab a Bible. We're going to Luke. We also have an EV Free Fullerton app. Thank you. Um, we have an EV Free Fullerton app. So if you're new to our church, go to the App Store, download EV Free Fullerton. There's a Bible on there that'll take you straight to Luke. Um, there's also a Connect card uh, on there. If you're new and want to let us know you're here, uh, please fill that out. You also have a paper version around you, either on a chair or in a seat back. Fill that out. That lets us know you're here. We get back in touch with you. You can find out all that's going on because we don't have time to cover it all today. Go to Luke chapter 3. What we're going to do today is we're um, meandering our way through Luke. We're in chapter 11, and the first part of chapter 11 deals with something called the Lord's Prayer. We're going to spend the next four weeks talking about prayer but today we want to spend time deconstructing what our view of prayer is and, and, and get us hungry for something else. So this is going to be like lots of background stuff, lots of reciting after me. We're actually going to read many Jewish prayers to get a feel for how they prayed. But before we do that, in Luke chapter 3, uh, we read, and I want to look at several passages very quickly because I, I want to get us a feel for Jesus' prayer life. We all know he prayed, of course, but just how often is pretty staggering. Luke chapter 3, verse 21. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was open and the Spirit descended. So you'll notice many things happen as Jesus was praying. There's kind of a constant refrain. Go to chapter 5, verse 16. Notice this. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Right in the middle of, I mean, in this account in Luke 5, he's healing, he's casting out demons, but often withdrew to himself. Jump over to chapter 6, verse 12. This is such a huge part of his ministry. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. This was right before he chose his 12 apostles. Jump over to chapter 9. Again, this is just stuff we kind of skim over. It's like, hey, the baptism's the big deal, not the prayer. Hey, it's the calling of the twelve, it's not the prayer. But all of it's tied together in the way Luke presents the account. Chapter 9, verse 16. Jesus, taking the five loaves and the two fish, looked up to heaven. He gave thanks. There's a very specific way you would give thanks we're going to look at. And he broke the bread uh, and started to distribute it. Jump down to verse 18. Once when Jesus was praying in private, and his disciples were with him. We're going to talk about, okay, so private didn't mean by himself. Private just didn't, it meant not in public. But his disciples were with him. Once when he was praying in private, and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? Jump to chapter 10, verse 21. This is when the 72 come back. And at that time, verse 21, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Lord, excuse me, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to children. So a constant refrain in the book of Luke is, and Jesus was praying, as Jesus was praying, as Jesus was praying, as Jesus was praying. So it's not surprising when you get to chapter 11, verse 1, you get the disciples asking the following question, and this is our text for the morning. Chapter 11, verse 1. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. 
just as John the Baptist did his disciples. Now, there's something not surprising about this request and something very surprising about this request. The not surprising bit was that Jesus was praying all the time. As Luke records for us, it's not surprising because Jesus was always withdrawing to pray. The surprising bit about this request, though, was that in the Judaism of Jesus' day, you were always praying. You, you were immersed in prayer. Your whole world was centered around prayer. So what was it about Jesus and the way Jesus prayed that made them interested? So we want to look first at the way you would pray as a Jewish man or woman in the first century. This is going to take about 15 minutes. We're going to read a lot of Jewish prayers together. All right, Because here's the prayer that Jesus gives in response to their question. Verse 2. Jesus said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Now, if you're like me, I memorized Matthew's version of this prayer, which is a little bit longer. feels like I keep wanting to add stuff that Luke doesn't have that Matthew has. But I want to show you that what Jesus is giving here isn't like some new thing. It was just a little different emphasis of prayers that they were praying all the time. So, first prayer we're going to pray together is called the Shema. Stand up. All right, so this is what the Erie, this is what the Erie family does over dinner. Jesus would have done this at least twice, maybe three times a day. Even today, Jewish rabbis teach, this is the prayer that's the first prayer in the morning and the last prayer at night. All right, It comes from Deuteronomy. We're going to say the Hebrew, then we're going to hear the English, and then we're going to sing the Hebrew because my friend Jennifer came up to me after the service and said, hey, I'm a Jewish follower of Jesus and we sing this. And I'm like, awesome. So we're going to say it, say it in English, sing it. All right, are you ready? Let's get our Hebrew on. Shema Israel. Adonai Elenehu. Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God. The Lord alone. Love the Lord your God. With all your heart. With all your soul. With all your mind. With all your strength. Amen. Now, normally, Jennifer, my Jewish sister, said, We sing this. So she offered to sing it for us. So why don't you come right over here so we don't have to move the cameras. I offered to sing it and she said no. So you sing it. Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad Baruch Shem Kavod Malhuto Leolam Vaed. Amen. And then you'd say, Yes. Amen. And you guys can go and don't have to sit through this. All right, go ahead, sit down. Now there were many. So so this is the prayer. Uh, that you would be saying and that you would be praying. This is something that Jesus would say, that Jesus would sing um, every day. And you'd say it at Sabbath, at synagogue. But there were other prayers. So here, here's an example of an invocation at a synagogue service. Now, we're going to say all of these together 
to get a feel for what it would be like and what it would, what, what, how you would understand prayer in the first century. So go ahead and put this on the screen. This is an invocation at a synagogue service, one example. So let's read it together. Blessed be Adonai, the ruler of the world. You formed light and you created darkness. You formed peace and you created all things. In your mercy, you give light to the earth and to everyone who lives on the earth. In your goodness, you renew your creation daily. Blessed be Adonai, our God, for the glory of his works. Blessed be Adonai, our God, for the lights which he made for his praise. Blessed be Adonai, our God, who formed light. Now, whenever you see the word Adonai, that is the Jewish substitution for the divine name that was given in the book of Exodus, Yahweh. They stopped saying that name out of reverence for it and for fear of breaking uh, second, uh, second or third commandment, you shall not take the name of the Lord God in vain. So they stopped saying the name and substituted Adonai. So you're going to see that all over the place. So you would have synagogue prayers you would pray every week. Here's an example of a prayer you would pray on a high uh, holy holiday. Yom Kippur was the Day of Atonement. So here's an example of a Yom Kippur prayer. Let's pray it together. Our God and the God of our fathers... Remove our guilt and blot out our iniquities, as you have promised. Blessed be Adonai, who forgives transgressions, the King of the universe, the one who sanctifies Israel and the Day of Atonement. So you would have holiday, festival prayers, you would have Sabbath prayers, you would have synagogue prayers, you had daily prayers. The Shema is one. This is a prayer called the Amidah. This prayer is the central Jewish prayer. In fact, it was so central in Judaism that they just called it prayer. If you just referred to prayer, this was what you were praying. It is 18 benedictions, 18 blessings of God. And so we're not going to read all 18, obviously, but I want to give you the feel for one and then a summary of the others. All right, The, the word Amidon means standing, so you would say it standing with your eyes open. Okay, so, so this was one example. We won't stand. You just did that. But this is an example of one of the petitions. Let's read it together. Speedily cause the offspring of your servant David to flourish and to let him be exalted by your saving power for we wait all day long for your salvation. Blessed are you, Adonai, who causes salvation to flourish. All right, now you would have 18 of these. All right, so I'm going to really quick go through. Blessed are you, and they were all long. All right, so I'm just hitting like the last line. Blessed are you, shield of Abraham. Blessed are you, reviving the dead. Blessed are you, the holy God. Blessed are you, gracious giver of understanding. Blessed are you, who desires repentance. Blessed are you, who abundantly forgives. Blessed are you, the redeemer of Israel. Blessed are you, who heals the sick. Blessed are you, who blesses the years. Blessed are you, who gathers the expelled of his people Israel. Blessed are you, lover of justice. Blessed are you, humbler of the arrogant. Blessed are you, trust of the righteous. Blessed are you, the builder of Jerusalem. Blessed are you, hearer of prayer. Blessed are you, whom we shall serve in reverence. Blessed are you, for it is good to give thanks to you. Blessed are you, Lord, maker of peace. Now, you were to pray this three times a day, and the timing of the prayers was timed to the Jewish sacrifices. Okay, so the temple of God, I don't know if you know this, but the temple of God in Jerusalem was destroyed by the Romans in A.D. 70. 
They could no longer offer sacrifices. So you have all the commands in the Old Testament that talk about sacrifices. So what the Jews do instead is they see their prayer as their sacrifice. So they, they pray the Amidah three times a day, time to when you would offer sacrifices in the temple. All right? Now, because it was long, there were, it was allowed that you could abbreviate it. So let me give you an example of a contemporary of Jesus who gave an abbreviated version of these 18 benedictions. Rabbi Eliezer, a younger contemporary of Jesus, taught this abbreviation of the 18. And notice, I, just, I don't want you to say it, but I want you to notice that it, there's a little bit of echo of the Lord's Prayer here. May your will be done in heaven above. Grant peace of mind to those who fear you on earth below. And do what seems best to you. Blessed are you, O Lord, who answer prayer. So, you have this central Jewish prayer that had 18 benedictions, but it was okay at times to abbreviate it. Some scholars think what the Lord's Prayer is, is Jesus abbreviating the 18 benedictions in his way. Father in the heavens, may your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today daily bread, forgive us. That that was actually, because if you were to look at the 18 long versions, all that stuff's in there except for the father part. So maybe it was that that caused the disciples to pray. Because I just want you to notice the disciples already knew how to pray. They were praying all the time. But there was something about the way Jesus did it that was super compelling. Now, one last form of Jewish prayer I want to draw your attention to. Oh, oh by the way, the same Eliezer says, He who makes his prayer fixed and uses the same words over and over and over and over and over again, that is not a true prayer. In other words, the goal of the abbreviations wasn't that you would just pray the same words over and over and over and never mean them. It was that you would make slight alterations to them to show that the prayer was genuine. That is why Luke gives us one version of the Lord's Prayer, and Matthew gives us a different version of the Lord's Prayer. Both are true, both are from Jesus, one's a little fuller, one's a little less, and this would have been totally acceptable in first century Judaism. So that means it's also acceptable for us, when we're praying the Lord's Prayer, to say, my Father in the heavens, the one right next to me, may your will be done in Fullerton as it is in heaven. I mean, it's totally acceptable to, see, Jesus is giving a skeleton, just like other rabbis of his day would have done. Now, one other form of Jewish prayer I want you to become familiar with. And these are called barakot. We'll skip that one because you don't look that interested. (laughs) This is actually a pretty large one. Now, in the Mishnah, there's a tractate. (laughs) Just The Mishnah is the codification of Jewish oral teaching put together a couple hundred years after the life of Jesus. A tractate is a book in this large compendium. There's a tractate entitled Barakot, which means blessings. The rabbis expected an Orthodox Jewish man or woman to offer 100 prayers of blessing a day. Now, if you prayed the Amidah, you covered 57, so you still had some more. So they they listed prayers of blessing that you were to pray as you went about your day uh, in Israel. So I want to give examples of these. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say the first line and then we're going to read it together and there's probably eight of these, all right? This is going to be fun. When you first open your eyes in the morning, say, 
Let's read it together. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who gives sight to the blind. So in that first moment of, I can see and interact with the world again today. Bless you, God. When getting out of bed, so for college kids, for high school kids, this is a, this is a tough one, especially when we leap forward. When getting out of bed, you say, Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sets the captives free. Because sometimes captivity is really warm and nice in the morning. When putting on clothes, and we can all say thank you for doing that this morning. When putting on clothes, you say, Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who clothes the naked. When you put on your shoes... You say, blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who provides for all my needs. When you eat bread. See, this is what Jesus would have done in the Last Supper when he takes bread and he blessed it and said, he's not blessing the bread, he's blessing God for the bread. He would have said something like this. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. When you drink wine, over 21, Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, creator of the fruit of the vine. When you see the first budding tree in springtime, which for us, you know, is not a big deal. If you're in the Midwest, this matters. You say, blessed are you, Lord our God, who did not omit anything from the world and created within it good creations and good trees for people to enjoy. All right? couple more. When you see lightning, falling stars, majestic mountains, great deserts, or the sky in all of its glory, you say, blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who has made the creation. When you hear thunder or feel an earthquake, this one's relevant, you say, blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, whose strength and power fill the world. When you see a beautiful person, Justy Bear, my sweet wife. I'm going to start saying this. Now look around, find a beautiful person. Okay, if not, look towards the front. <laughs> and keep, still keep looking, I think. When you see a beautiful person, an animal, or a tree, Justy, you say, Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who has such as these in the world. When it rains, Or something else good happens, you say, we got a couple more. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who is good and gives good things. Something terrible happens. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who is the true judge. Last one. When you've reached some long-awaited joyous occasion, you say, Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who has given us life, and preserved us and brought us to this season. Now, the reason we went through all of that, right? Remember what we, where we've been. Jesus prayed frequently. His disciples then say, hey, teach us to pray. There's something not surprising about that request because Jesus evidently was doing it all the time. But there was something surprising about that request because the Jewish world of that day was immersed in prayer. So we looked at a synagogue prayer, a high holy day prayer, the Amada central prayer, and then the barakot that you'd be praying throughout the day. We even sang and said the Shema together. So this was the world of Jesus. Jesus then offers his prayer. And some think his prayer was an abbreviation 
of the 18. It was Jesus' version. But notice, in any of the prayers that we read and said today, never once was the word Father used, right? So we're going to talk about what it means to see God as Father and, and, and perhaps why that would have been something that would have been intriguing to the disciples. But the big reason I wanted you to see this is I wanted you to contrast the way they prayed with the way we pray. And I'm just going to use me as an example and project onto you. All right? So notice there are four differences. First one, notice the difference between blessing me versus blessing God. Mike Erie's prayers are all about blessing Mike Erie, correct? Those prayers... We're all about blessing God. Now, that sounds weird. Because the English word bless, to bless somebody means you do something nice for them. You give them a gift. You say something nice. You bless them. But the Hebrew word for bless comes from a word that means to kneel or to bow. So that when you're blessing God, you're bowing to him as the author of whatever it is you're enjoying. So to bless God for the food means, yes, even though I worked and I bought the food, the ability to work and buy food comes ultimately from God. So that's why at our house we never bless the food. The food's already blessed as part of God's good world. We bless God for the food he's given. Now there's nothing wrong with asking God to bless us, but if you're like me, that's all I do. And the difference is, who's the center of prayer? Me? Or God. So, for the Jews, the center of prayer was God. It was all God-focused. God, bless you for this and bless you for that. So what if you tomorrow, just ask yourself, what if you tomorrow spent the entire day saying thank you to God for every single thing you enjoyed? God, thank you for waking me up. Thank you for my feet hitting the floor. Thank you that I have a bed. Thank you that there's warm water in the shower. Thank you that I open the fridge and there's food there. Thank you that they're closed. Thank you that my car works. Thank you for a computer. Thank you for the ability to type, for the ability to speak, the ability to breathe. Thank you for the blood that's flowing without me doing anything. Right? I mean, I'm not paying attention. And all of this incredible complexity is happening all the time all around me. And notice, those, those blessings, were, were those religious in nature? Bless you, God, for... No, it was like shoes and clothes and food. To the Jewish mind, you bless God for your real life. It's not a religious life you're blessing Him for. It's the one you've got. And the fact that if you spent the entire day tomorrow saying thank you, you'd have an entirely different day. And your circumstances wouldn't be as important when you're in the middle of that because you were blessing God in good, blessing God in bad regardless. Right? So we sing the song, bless the Lord, O my soul. It's almost a command to your soul to bring blessing to the Lord. So for me, that's a massive shift. Because when I pray, it's like ordering off a menu. God, God's like, here's your menu, Mike, what do you want? Oh, God, I want a double helping of blessing the way I define blessing, which is materialistic, consumeristic, and individualized. And hold the suffering, which God says is very good for souls. Hold that. Give me the American dream. Would you baptize the American dream for me? I'd really like some more of that. Right? That's, what, that's the sum total of my prayer. And when this confronts me, I'm going, my goodness, what a selfish, short-sighted, narrow, petty guy I am. Now, is it wrong to ask for us? No, we'll see that. Of course. 
But when that's all we do, I think we've missed something really critical about reframing us in the midst of God's great world. Similarly, and secondly, notice that the Jewish prayers we read and the prayers you read in the scriptures are very often contrasted with me and my. Right? When I pray, it's all about me and my family, my needs, versus we and us. Those prayers we were reading were corporate prayers. God forgive us corporately. The prayers were a means by which you were reinforced into understanding yourself as part of a community. For me, prayer is just an expression of my individualism. Right? Hey, God bless me. Here's a couple of friends I'm thinking of, but it's really about, here's my day. Bless that, bless that, bless that. Here's what I'm doing. Bless that, bless that, bless that. And there's a place for that, yes. There's a place for me and my, yes. But (laughs) biblically, You're not saved into an individual relationship with Jesus. You're saved into a redeemed people. And that redeemed people prays for itself as a corporate. In fact, there were some Jewish prayers you couldn't even pray unless you had ten Jewish men there, the beginnings of a synagogue. So there's something when Jesus says where two or three are gathered, like there's something that only happens when the community prays. Thirdly, many of us understand prayer as a contract. We we understand prayer in contractual terms versus prayer expressed as part of covenant. Now, if if you're not familiar with those words, we're all familiar with contracts, right? When you go to get your hair cut, which I have not had the opportunity to do in a while, when you go to get your hair cut, you pay an amount and they cut your hair, and supposedly to your satisfaction, Right? Or for some of us, we're in tax season, and so you go to the accountant. The accountant, you pay the account money. They provide certain services. And the agreement is, as long as both parties benefit, you're good. The minute one doesn't, you're okay to break the contract. I mean, this is how this works. Now, we apply this kind of understanding to our relationship with God, if you allow me to oversimplify. Very often, prayer gets looked at as a form of magic. If I just conjure up enough faith... If I just say the right words, if I close my eyes, bow my head, use a bunch of different words I don't use normally, then maybe God will be impressed with my sincerity. That is so not how prayer works. Prayer is an expression of covenant, meaning you're already in a covenant relationship with your Creator. That covenant has responsibilities, yes, on both sides, but they're backed by a pledge of life together. So the way I talk to my accountant should be different than the way I talk to my spouse, correct? When I'm with my accountant, I'm a bit more professional because there's a reciprocal thing I've got to keep in mind here. When I'm with my spouse, yes, there's reciprocity, but that reciprocity is backed by a pledge of love that's non-conditional, So the reason when you pray, it's better to be honest than to be good is because you are expressing covenant fidelity when you bring whatever it is before God. You're bowing. See, in the Psalms, you have ruthless honesty, way more honesty than most of us are when we pray. God, where are you? Why haven't you? Come on, listen. For most of us, it's, well... God, just, you know, we say the word just 87,000 times. Just please consider, maybe just. Next week, we're going to look at the subject of chutzpah. 
When Abraham literally negotiates with God Almighty, Moses says, hey, hey, what would the Egyptians think if you obliterate the Israelites? Where Jesus, after spending his whole life announcing he was going to die, says, hey, would you take this cup? I mean, we've, we've stopped being honest. So we have weird things that we do. There are certain postures we've inherited, right? So if I say, hey, let's bow our head and pray, what do we all do? Bow your head, close your eyes. Well, where's the verse that says you got to close your eyes? Where is it? I mean, literally, people have um, emailed me and been critical of the fact that I have my eyes open when I pray. And I always want to say, first of all, how do you know? (laughs) And second of all, where's the verse that says... Now, there are times when I shut my eyes because it helps me focus. But often when I shut my eyes, I lose focus. So I pray when I walk. Love. I sometimes get here at 6 in the morning. I go walking around our church and I'm praying like crazy. I love to write my prayers. That's how I pray. Some of you are mystics and you can sit in silence in a closet and be still for four hours. That is not me. So sometimes prayers are face down, sometimes prayers are hands up, sometimes they're standing, they're sitting, they're kneeling. There is no magic here, brothers and sisters, there's covenant. And because there's covenant, you bring your real self with both temerity and humility, because he's holy far beyond anything we can imagine, and boldness because of what Jesus has done. Both are true. And so there are times we just let our words be few. And there are times with chutzpah, we ask and keep asking. See, I just think we've lost. One of the things that defeats prayer more than anything else is the view that says, well, God's going to do whatever he's going to do, so why pray? Next week, we're going to beat up on that. Because I want to argue God's sovereignty, if you understand it properly, encourages prayer rather than defeats it. There are things that happen because people pray and there are things that don't happen because people don't. One last one. See, this just indicts me and my whole understanding of discipleship to Jesus. That's why I wanted you to read all those things. Last one. The difference between understanding prayer as a practice and prayer as a lifestyle. Now, all of us, all of us know the passage. In 1 Thessalonians, pray without ceasing. And that sounds awful. So I'm just doing this all day, right? Running into stuff. And what does that even mean? Anne Lamott has has an interesting book where she argues there are three prayers. Thank you, help, and wow. So what if you just went around tomorrow saying thank you, help, and wow? Now I would add two other ones. The prayer of confession, I'm sorry, or I, I repent. And a prayer of lament. God, how long? But that's it. What if you spent tomorrow just saying thank you for everything? Just, to, just put a little sticky note, write it on your hand that just says thank you. God, thank you for this, thank you for that, thank you for that. Pretty soon, like when I grew up, okay, um, I, I understood that the most important part of your day is something called your quiet time. This was reinforced in my college ministry, youth ministry, wherever. Your quiet time is your time with God. Half an hour at least, if you're really godly, it's longer. And it's some Bible reading and it's some prayer. And do we need that? Yes. If you don't do that, we need intentional times of prayer and study. Yes, please do that. 
But the way it was presented made it sound like once I stopped having my quiet time, I started to do something different. Because if you're saying you're having time with God there, then what are you doing the rest of the time? So Jewish people, if they were here, would listen to our having time with God and say, when are you not having time with God exactly? When is that? Like, when exactly does that stop? It's like saying that you're going to have time with air. I'm going to have some time with oxygen this morning, guys. Real focused time. Okay. And then you're going to have more time with oxygen, right? So sometimes worship leaders will say, hey, let's step into God's presence. I want to stand up and say, too late. You've been there the whole time. Right? Someone was getting on me for wearing jeans, and they said, we should always dress up into God's presence. And my response was, then do you always wear a suit? Because if you wear nothing else, I mean, you are always in the presence. Prayer without ceasing is simply not learning to be religious, but living your normal, ordinary, real life with the awareness that God is ahead of you, behind you, around you, and all you're doing is waking up. God doesn't show up, you do. He's ahead of you at work, he's ahead of you at play, that's just what he's doing. Now hold on, that sounds responsive, I don't know how to take that, so just hold on a second. But... (laughs) So the thing, but, but to me, this was totally transforming. Because I always felt guilty if I didn't have the half hour. And yes, do the half hour. There's nothing wrong with praying for me and mine. There's nothing wrong with understanding and asking. I'm not saying any of that. What I am saying, though, is that the American view of prayer, at least as it's expressed in me, is way too small, way too petty. And no wonder it's a burden. I think if there's something, there's something about waking up and obliterating the sacred and the secular distinctions to realize literally just for the next hour, guys, you leave at 1230, just until 130, just say thank you for everything you notice. Just do that. Or the next 30 minutes, just thank you. Thank you for the seat. Thank you for that. Just thank you for the AC. Thank you. You know, whatever. And see what that does. So close your eyes if you would. I want to pray for us. Just kidding. I want you to look at me. We're going to pray with our eyes open today. And it's so funny, some of you can't. You'll still just be going, I can't do it. I can't look at him. Now that may be for other reasons, but we're going to pray with our eyes open. It's going to be glorious. All right, so let's pray. Father in the heavens, thank you for my brothers and my sisters. Father, you know every single story. As I look at these faces, there isn't one story that's hidden from you. You know all of the secret sin. You know all the shame, the guilt. You know the fears, the joys, the happiness. You know the good habits, the bad habits. You know the things we really think. Our lips may praise you, but you know when our hearts are far from you. And the astounding thing, Lord, is that with even like us, people like us, you are faithful and you are good and that there is no condemnation. And so we come as real people Saying, I believe, help me overcome my unbelief. Saying, God, how long, or why, or God, help, or wow, or thanks. The astounding thing, God, is that you listen and you respond. The astounding thing is that you care and the hairs on our heads are numbered, some more than others. And we're so grateful. But Lord, our prayer today is very simply the prayer your disciples prayed. Lord, teach us to pray. Let's say that together. Lord, teach us to pray. One more time. 
Lord, teach us to pray. Father, keep us from thinking somehow we got it figured out and create in us a hunger for you. Not answers, not blessings, but you. Father, help us to be people that passionately, diligently, and persistently call upon your name. We love you, Lord. Amen.